This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Uh, Let's jump right into it. In this holiday season, what is the biggest gift markets could get in the next few weeks leading up to New Year's Day? Well, um, they've already sneaked a peek under the tree uh, with the new, uh, the various uh, optimistic reports about rolling out of credible vaccines. Um, and But there's definitely a number of other things in the stocking, which I think add up to uh, a much better Christmas than most people uh, in the investment world thought likely uh, even a couple of months ago. Um, sort of the steady eddies of those are that uh, the the uh, socially responsible ESG themes continue to draw uh, very significant amounts of money, uh, in, certainly into equity funds and uh, to a lesser but still notable degree, uh, bond funds. Um, we have the return uh, of retail investors, which though you can argue is going to inject some vol- volatility into things, uh, you know, is an added uh, uplift for uh, both markets and uh, equity fund inflows. And then we've uh, we've got a couple of uh, really significant walls of money hanging over uh, both markets and uh, uh, the in gates for funds. that uh, if and when they start moving, I think will will provide quite a lift. Uh, those two uh, closer to home is the fact that uh, of the over trillion dollars we saw go into U.S. money market funds during the second quarter, uh, only a fairly small proportion of that has actually moved out. So there's still something like close to a trillion dollars that wasn't there at the beginning of the year. Uh, And given the yields that uh, are being paid on that, I suspect investors would like to move it. Uh, And last but not least, uh, the U.S. consumer uh, (laughs) did something they're not usually noted for uh, and saved uh, uh, along uh, Asian lines, uh, certainly during the middle part of the year. Um, uh, Let's see, I think in April, uh, the personal savings rate uh, in the U.S. uh, approached 30 percent of uh, uh, personal income. So there's uh, quite a bit sort of sitting in bank accounts. um, And We've seen for some time that uh, some investors are betting that uh, that uh, money will start to burn a hole in those bank accounts as far as consumers are are concerned and that uh, pent up demand will start moving uh, certainly early next year. So you think the and, and it makes sense, you think the equity run up we've seen in the past few weeks is all driven by vaccine news, mostly 
vaccine news or, uh, I, no, or just a portion of that? I would say a portion, uh, a significant portion and arguably uh, the, the, the biggest uh, portion. Um, but um, I think definitely uh, investors and financial professionals are beginning to sort of uh, get t- get wind of these other drivers and, and factor them uh, into their assessments, certainly for the first half of next year. So as I feel like if it weren't for the pandemic, SRI ESG would really big, be the big story this year. Um, I've, we've, we've talked about it before. Any road bumps that are bumps in the road that you would see over the next month or so for those funds uh i i don't think uh over the uh the next month or so uh you know there's a continued undercurrent uh of concern there about what you benchmark them to uh, the disconnect between the time frames uh, that uh, the goals they embrace usually take to realize and financial time, which is quarter to quarter. Um, but as we've also said in, in previous chats, um, a lot of the money is going in. Uh, I don't wish to appear cynical, but not so much for the sort of green and social benefits, but for the fact that uh, given the, the uh, extra due diligence that is sort of part of uh, these funds, the screens they apply, um, they have, uh, certainly in the eyes of investors, a degree of downside protection if we hit another bout of volatility. And that certainly played out at the height of the pandemic panic uh, back in March and April. Um, it's not that the ESG SRI funds didn't uh, lose some ground performance-wise, uh, but they were, you know, collectively um, several percentage points better than the, the non-SRI ESG funds. When we think about the money sitting on the sidelines in those money market funds, is this? Are we getting to the point where? It's an unprecedented amount of time the cash has been sitting on sidelines, or maybe you could put that a little bit into context. Do we usually see this sort of prolonged inactivity from those money market funds? Um, Well, the only real point of comparison is the great financial crisis of 08, 09. Um, And... uh, so far, the timescales in terms of switching from dramatic inflows to steady outflows aren't that far apart. What is noticeable is that the sort of trajectory of the redemptions, especially from U.S. funds, is much shallower than it was when the needle turned uh, during the great financial crisis. Um, And uh, we are 10 years further into the uh, moving of the baby boom cohort into retirement um, uh, with obviously a much more conservative view of how they want their assets uh, organized. Um, So I think it's a, I think it's very possible that uh, while I expect to see that money move out of uh, US, certainly U.S. money market funds uh, in the coming months, uh, that the pace 
uh, and intensity will be somewhat different from what we saw sort of in 2010, 2011. So excited to talk about our next topic because I think it's a little bit of a departure from what we've seen. Uh, when we talk about the emerging markets, this year it's really been a China story, and perhaps that continues, but it seems like we're seeing a little bit of a blip of activity with Mexico-focused funds. What's the theory behind that activity we're seeing? Yeah, no, I, I and and on the face of it, uh, given the administration that's in power there, uh, it seems a little counterintuitive. Um, the, there are a variety of factors that have uh, prompted investors to take another look at Mexico as the year winds down. Um, and uh, they, the most important, I think, obviously, is the expectations that the new U.S. administration will be considerably easier to deal with than the outgoing one. Um, but there's also a number of uh, other factors in play. Uh, there is the expectation that the Biden administration will be less accommodating uh, to the U.S. shale oil industry, thereby uh paving the way for for some increases in oil prices in the global sense uh that's obviously a concern for mexico which gets a lot of its uh, certainly public revenue from that source uh longer term there there is uh, an assumption that um there will be some lifting of us supply chains out of china over the next few years uh, and Mexico, with its Maquiladori belt, uh, is, is a natural beneficiary of that trend, you know, assuming that it materializes. But I think it, in some form uh, it will. Could you just explain a little bit what that is? Okay. So, the, yes, sorry. So the Maquiladori belt is the... Uh, uh, is the area along the Mexican-U.S. border, which is noted for um, f factories that are, are are sort of doing work for uh, U.S. finished products. Um, car, the car automobile industry uh, has been a big user of that particular system. Uh, where factories in Mexico will will uh, do a fair amount of the nuts and bolts work at obviously lower costs and then ship the the vehicles to the U.S. for the sort of final wash and polish. So would you be surprised if we see this continue into 2021? Um, this uh, new interest in Mexico? Yep. Uh, <clears throat> no, because... Uh, uh, there's actually one more element that I didn't mention. Um, part of the reason Mexico seems fairly counterintuitive is its macroeconomic numbers and its handling of the COVID pandemic uh, have not uh, not pr prompted anyone to break out a champagne bottle. Um, but uh, there is a, a, a sort of a, a feeling that uh, for some emerging markets and, and Mexico and Turkey are certainly in this basket, um, they're going to reach the point where they uh, unorthodox uh, statist policy making uh, is going to sort of risk uh, political turmoil. Um, and indeed in Turkey, we've already seen 
the central bank uh, cave in and resist uh, the government pressure to keep interest rates low because international markets are becoming so hostile. Um, and there is a sense that Mexico may actually be an unlikely reform story next year, not because uh, uh, Obrador, uh, the president, wants that, but because he, he may end up having no other options if he doesn't want the economy to implode on him. So what are you and the team going to be looking at this week? I know it's getting to year end. So <laughs> yes. next week we'll do our uh, year uh, look ahead for 2021. But what are you and the team focused on this um, upcoming week? So uh, it is is year end. Um, but within that, uh, I think this coming week, we will be paying a fair amount of attention to uh, where credit markets are going. Um, they have obviously become harder to read over time uh, because of the massive government uh, intervention, certainly in the major uh, developed markets. Um, we are hoping to uh, unveil uh, some quantitative research uh, to sort of fine tune the, our ability and the ability of clients to tease signals out of our uh, Japanese flow data. Um, that's a market where the central bank owns large chunks now uh, of the national debt stock and of uh, the available ETFs. Um, so um, obviously their activity uh, at times really mutes the, the classical signals that you can extract from flow data. So um, apart from gazing into crystal balls, uh, it'll be sort of the fixed income side of things that we'll be making a last push on this coming week. Great. And I know we're going to be uh, having a lot of different conversations around 2021. So hopefully we can uh, we can touch on some of those. Right, right. There will be a webinar um, on the uh, 16th of December, uh, basically looking ahead. So um, maybe during next week's podcast, we'll sort of spell out the, the time and how to join. Great. Thanks, Cam. Have a great week. All right. You too. Cheers. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR Exchange Podcast at informa.com. Mm-hmm.